and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of 9 to 42, the podcast uh, from the guys behind the Guitar Show UK. Um, I am, as always, here with uh, my co-host, uh, Jason Hunt, the uh, big cheese behind the Guitar Show. How are you, Jace? I'm all right, Anne. How are you? I am not too bad at all. Uh, we are in our remote recording environment, so we, we, we're staying at each other on a, on a screen. Um, and... Do you know what? I'm really excited about this week's show um, because we are talking to, drumroll please, and I'll let you introduce... Ryan Roxy from the Alice Cooper Band. Ryan Roxy. And what a, it was such a treat to get to speak to him. Uh, we spoke to him in uh, Stockholm uh, where, he was, uh, where he was locked down. and uh, Well, actually not locked down because they're not locked down in the same way. It was more... It was, it was a self-imposed lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was more self-imposed for him, yeah, because they the Swedes have taken a slightly different, more grown-up, well, more grown-up, but they've taken a slightly different view to it all than uh, than than a lot of the rest of Europe. So I'm going to have to ask, because I just got a note through from you saying, oh, we're talking to Ryan Roxy, when are you free? Um, how, how do you know Ryan? <laughs> he came and did the guitar show uh, last year, so 2019, and... Um... I booked him. It was quite late in the in the process. Um, in fact, it was too late almost. Um, I had an email through uh, of uh, Dave, uh, who I didn't know at the time, who kind of looks after Ryan in the UK, um, and uh, the email said some, something along the lines of like, "Hi." I'm looking after a well-known US guitarist who's interested in appearing on the live stage at the guitar show. And it was so late in the day that the live stage was actually full. And I'd already, you know, let's be honest, I'd already forked out for uh, Bumblefoot, Rhino from Status Quo. I got Paul Sayer from uh, Temperance Movement and, and a whole host of others that, you know, 16 months on or whatever, I can't remember anymore. Um I, so I, was, I don't know. So I'd actually written a, an email that basically said, oh, "Booker off on full," uh, politely, um, and I I was about to hit send and stopped myself, deleted the entire email, and just wrote, "Hi, who is the well-known US guitarist?" <laughs> <laughs> so it was like twenty minutes later, I got an email back that said it's Ryan Roxy from the Alice Cooper band, and I was like. Right, okay, I'll move stuff around. <laughs> I'll get him in. <laughs> because, I mean, I suppose one of the things that uh, most people don't know is that I get emails like this all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I particularly get emails that say, hi, I represent a well-known guitarist. I'm like, Just yeah. tell me their name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and most of the time, um, when unless I go back to... Unless that's Keith Richards... Yeah, you really just need to mention the name or Keith Scott, obviously in our yeah, case. Or Keith but, Scott. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, most of the time when I do get the name out of them, I've never heard of them. Yeah, or or I'll you know I'll check. There's like you know I'm quite aware that I don't know every guitarist in the world, but I'll check out their social media and they've got like 158 followers, and it's like yeah. 
She says, I've got more than that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's that bit there where the phrase well-known, if you have, feel you have to use that phrase, then literally no fuck has heard of you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's probably like, a rule of thumb. It's like anybody that sells a product that has professional written on the box. Yeah. It clearly is aimed <laughs> at amateurs. Yeah. Particularly when it's on eBay and it's £17.39. <laughs> yeah. So I, I booked uh, Ryan uh, on that and um, squeezed him in. Can't remember. Uh, one of the other things that uh, people pro- probably don't realise is that um, whilst I think that the live stage lineup is completed about five times during the right. show, which is why I tend to hold off on putting the lineup up till quite late because many people are booked and then drop out for whatever reasons, you know. Yeah. I had, uh, a couple of years ago, I had Bruce Kulick uh, from KISS, all signed, well, about to be signed up, and then Grand Funk Railroad, the band that he's in now, post-KISS, um, you know, emailed him that morning that he was going to sign the contract uh, to tell him that they were announcing a tour and, you know, being a hired hand, he's got you know, he's, he's going to get paid a lot more money from Grand Funk Railroad than he is from me. Yeah. Um, which is why I hold off uh, quite late, but Anyway, so uh, I booked Ryan, and um, I, I was in the show, um, on, on the show floor, uh, when he arrived. And it was brilliant, because he came in through the, the back door, the artist entrance, and dropped all his gear off at the, the live stage first, before he came through to the office to say hello to me at the front. And, uh, and there was this entourage behind what clearly was a rock star, in the full traditional set, there's just like an aura around them, which was just incredible. And uh, now he's dripping in sort of like jewelry, and, and you know, he got his floppy beanie out on and everything. And it was just the the difference between people who can play the guitar and rock stars yeah. was quite evident as Ryan walked through yeah. the hall. Uh, in yeah. much the same way with Phil X, there's just an aura, which is probably a confidence when you've played in front of. 20,000, 30,000 people a night sort of thing, yeah. every night. Yeah. Um, but he came in and he was lovely. And um, on the back of that, he came into BIM, where I, I lecture, and spoke to the students and was brilliant. Uh, and then invited um, some of the... In fact, he got up with um, the the house band, we call them, at BIM, mm. that um, are generally made up of the best musicians at the uni. Yeah. And he agreed to play Poison with them. Right. Which, you know, when you're like 18, 19, and uh, you get to play Poison with a bloke that plays it every night. Um, I mean, they were buzzing. And then he invited me and uh, my mate and uh, all of the students to the Alice Cooper gig that was going on that night. And, And we all got backstage passes and everything. And, you know, I mean, one of the guitarists, Tom, uh, he's a great player um, who'd really nailed Poison. Um, you know, he got to take his mum and dad, and I was chatting to his mum and dad, and his dad's first gig in 77 was at Alice Cooper and stuff like that. So it was just like this wonderful sort of thing. And then Ryan did the most gracious thing possible. He walked up to Tom in front of his mum and dad and told him what a brilliant guitarist he was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so it's uh, a lovely bloke. And and to be fair, as you'll hear, that really comes across 
in the interview. Um, but we'll, we won't tell you any more about it. Um, and we'll, we'll duck straight in. So uh, this, is, this is Ryan Roxy uh, uh, in, in Stockholm in lockdown, uh, including our, um, our five-question quickfire round. Uh, so we'll do this and then we'll, uh, we'll regroup uh, at the other end because uh, we've got a few other bits and pieces to talk to you about. With us today, we've got Ryan Roxy, who I believe is in Stockholm. Yes, although it might look like New York City in the background, it is Stockholm. It's my son's room, and here I am. How are you doing? Oh, cool. Uh, first question's got to be, uh, Ryan, um, how's, how's lockdown over there? How's lockdown with you? How are we coping? I think I'm coping pretty pretty well. I'm in a more self-imposed lockdown because uh, Sweden, as you know, doesn't really have an official uh, lockdown per se. Uh, a lot of people are taking it more seriously than before, but there's a fair amount of people you see out on the streets as well. So I guess a year from now, time will tell, and we'll actually see what the actual numbers is and when all is said and done. But uh, it's so weird being in this uh, no man's land, you know, that's this kind of twilight zone that we are living day to day now. Well, it's it's a bit um, strange because I think the UK, when we started what the, you know the coronavirus thing over here we were almost going to do what you guys are doing we were talking about a very light lockdown and they were talking about herd immunity and seeing if it would transmit and you know whether whether we could actually not not affect day-to-day life too quickly and then we kind of did an about turn but you guys have gone with the whole trying to be a little bit better behaved but not be as draconian about the measures haven't you they've i think they've probably doubled down on it because I've been reading and obviously watching a lot of podcasts these days. We have lots of time to do that in between filming and recording our own podcasts. But uh, basically, the former health minister of Sweden was basically saying that they want to deal with real numbers. And when they get numbers that come in that you can't really rely on, whether it's because, you know, China is reporting false numbers because, you know, Germany has completely discounts all of China's numbers. I think they're kind of trying to deal with just these authentic numbers, but we won't know authentic numbers until six months from now, or maybe even a year. But let's, uh, I always say, let's try and use this time because it could be doom and gloom. Let's try and use it and make a positive about it as one of the most creative times um, that we've ever had. And hopefully that creativity will flourish during these dark days. So um, I suppose going back to sort of slightly happier times, you came over and did the uh, guitar show for me last year. Yes. And uh, also you uh, you came into BIM and you spoke to the students uh, for me, which was a, a, a brilliant experience. And um, one of the things you said when you were on stage talking to the students um, was that you were in the process, I suppose, what, 12, 15 months ago of developing your own guitar tuition Method, um, yeah, yeah, method, and um, and you've you've just launched that, haven't you, via Kickstarter? Yeah, the uh, official finished version won't be out obviously until we've completed the Kickstarter campaign and then been able to uh, film it with all the bells and whistles and and tech that's included in it. But we also have a beta test version already done. So we've already basically recorded the demo and we're really happy with the demo. It's just, we want a final product as well. So the good news about the Kickstarter campaign and the guitar method is if you're at home right now and you've always wanted to learn guitar 
or if you wanted to take that dive and you already play, but you want to get better and be more versed in the fundamentals, this is a perfect course for you. We're calling it the System 12 Guitar Method. And the beta series, if you uh, contribute a certain amount, you get it the same day or maybe the day after or whatever. And you can start basically learning guitar right then and there. And so, you know, we've been... Uh, Knock on wood, it's been real successful so far. Let's we have a few more days on it, so hopefully we can uh, keep it going and uh, get as much capital as we can because everything that we make off the Kickstarter is going back into that project. I made an oath to myself and the team that uh, I assembled around it that we would put everything back into the project to make it the best product and give it the best chance of success possible. Because it's it's great to have a a good guitar method. But you have to get get it out to people and have people know about it. So um, that's what we're doing, and that's why I'm talking to you right now about this. But just just so you know, it's it's one of those systems. Like we we might have talked about it 15 months ago where I was developing it, but it's been you know my whole entire career. It's been a development of this system. I've tried to and I've taught guitar lessons when I was 16 years old, and I've always had a way of explaining the guitar in a very simplistic way where hopefully people can learn the guitar faster and, and, and move on with their guitar journey than anywhere else. Cause as a guitar teacher where I'm at in life, I want you to take you in. If you're a beginner or intermediate, teach you what I know, give you all my sort of guitar life hacks and then send you on your way. Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's up to you, the player to really be the head of your own guitar journey yeah so is it is it done by genre or is it is it not based in any sort of like you know type of music it's just the guitar or you know you know because i always think that you when i when i when i came to see uh, the cooper band uh when was it um six seven months ago uh I always see you as being the sort of more traditional hard rock bluesy kind of player, and Nita was doing all the widdly stuff. Is it is it is it based in the sort of like? I hard think this rock, is a this is of... a very good spectrum of uh, overall guitar knowledge, fun basic fundamentals, the way you look at the guitar, and because we call it the System Twelve Guitar Method, the number twelve is very prevalent in the whole entire system. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of coincidences about the number 12 in the guitar and music. For instance, there's, you know, 12 notes total and uh, in music. There's actually seven notes with their sharps and flats. And, of course, we have a very simplistic and easy way to remember those notes and to get them memorized on your guitar neck, which your guitar neck is really only how many frets before it starts over again? 12. 12. So then the guitar neck starts over again at those double dots. A lot of people... You know, they don't see those things right off the bat. In fact, it took me years to see a lot of the sort of tricks that I teach. Like, hey, I never thought of the guitar that way. But now I do, and now I think I explain it in such a way that you can easily take it in. 12 lessons, roughly around 12 to 15 minutes long. If you invest in the lesson, I want you to be practicing about maybe 25 to 30 minutes a day. I'm not asking for everything. I mean, that's that's one sitcom, folks. That's one like that's one show on Netflix or Hulu that you haven't seen, that you've already seen already, and uh, you can end up learning guitar, um, hopefully in 12 weeks. That's the goal. Wow, 
Cool. So you've got that going. You've also got the uh, the podcast as well, In the Trenches. Yes, I, I've managed to uh, create a cool sort of environment, hopefully for other, as other guitar players. I started as a other uh, interviewing other guitar players, and we started off with guys like Charlie Starr from uh, Blackberry Smoke. We had Phil X um, from Bon Jovi, and it was guys... Joel Hoekstra, for instance, from White Snake, guys that were similar to myself in the sense that we've been we're attached to something larger, like you know uh, Phil X being attached to Bon Jovi, myself riding the coattails of Alice Cooper for you know all these years, gratefully so. But I you know let's let's call a spade a spade. I've been able to you know open a lot of doors from playing guitar with Alice Cooper. So you know, but at the same time, not everybody knows who I am. And that's why I say I've been in the trenches of rock and roll. And I started interviewing a lot of people that were similar, but then it's expanded now to um, personalities and, and singers. And, you know, I think I'm going to even have a drummer on at one time. What do you think about that? (laughs) We were talking about drummers before. (laughs) Don't be afraid. The in the trenches podcast has been going um, pretty good, you know, pretty well. The, and now that we have um, now been sort of quarantined, it's very interesting to see that all those phone calls that I was making before I'm getting to return phone calls now because they're indoors now. So it's, it's a good opportunity to talk to people and sort of pick other uh, rock and rollers brains, you know, so to speak. And uh, we do a live stream on every Tuesday with the Into Trenches podcast. I, you know, back and forth. Sometimes I have taped interviews like, you know, like we're doing now or I do a live stream. And on the live streams, I can open it up to the uh, public at the end of the interview where they can actually come on and ask their favorite rock and rollers some questions that they want to know. Because you do the the live stream Sunday as well, don't you? Oh, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's a third thing, man. I I have been busy. Been, it's all done inside this room, to be honest with you. Um, I I do a I started it uh, when we first started hunkering down. I mean, I, I, look, twenty twenty started out really good for me. I was really happy. We we you were in Australia, weren't we you? Flew down to Australia. We we were playing. Um, really cool shows with MC 50, which is, you know, Wayne Kramer and MC five who has a all-star band. He's got guys, you know, uh, Kim Thiel from Soundgarden, for instance, in his band. And, and then all in the other band that we were on tour with was airborne who were straight ahead, rock and roll, perfect, perfect band to be on tour with. And, um, and then we did that big, uh, show down at, uh, in Sydney where we, uh, did a relief uh, concert for the bushfires that were happening down there. And Alice Cooper, uh, we got to open up for one of my favorite bands of all time, Queen. And we did it at a stadium. So I was like, you know, I was loving life in the beginning of 2020. I I, I come back, you know, and then basically all hell broke loose. And uh, But then I said, look, if we're going to be shut down on these sort of stages now the the stages that we're used to let's find some new ones to uh perform on and it ended up being this uh platform of live streaming and uh so i said you know what i'll get my guitar out i'll try and really work on getting good live stream audio because that's always the important thing because when we were all talking about our microphones and our (laughs) mic boxes and stuff before we went on and it's 
and so I've, I think, knock on wood, I've managed to get a pretty good live stream sound, and we do it every Sunday. I come on, I play a few songs, I talk in between, and it's just kind of like our, our hang. I call it Sunday Live Stream Sunday. So if you ever want to come by and check it out, you're more than welcome. Oh, I was there on Sunday. Oh, thanks for coming by. Um, so you're talking about Alice. I was just, how do you get the gig being Alice's guitarist? Uh, I got the gig. I actually, oddly enough, I was my own guest on my own podcast. One of my one of my um, teammates that uh, we work on this, on the guitar lessons with, Robbie Miller. He interviewed me. So on on last week's podcast. So I actually told the whole story of the whole audition process. But basically, when it comes down to a nutshell, how I got the Alice Cooper gig was being able to play the uh, pre-chorus of the song Poison flawlessly when nobody else at the audition did. (laughs) Because it's a Desmond Child written pre-chorus. And if you know Mm. anything about Desmond Child as a songwriter, he wrote all those huge Bon Jovi songs, wrote with Kiss, and it always has a modulation, modulation after modulation. And that pre-chorus with uh, with that with the song "Poison" and "Alice" is a tricky one. If you get off of it, you're you're lost. You're basically you know you're effed basically. And so I, I hunk. I was listening to the other uh, guitarists trying out, and they were all kind of stumbling right around that part at one point. And I said, "Look, if you just." Don't concentrate so much on the widdly widdly, like you said, and you just do a little bit, be that more of that 70s guitar player, that Alice Cooper band, 70s original lineup sort of needs and and sort of um, is known for, then nail that pre-chorus. I think you can have a good chance of getting the gig. And that's that day, my fingers and, you know, my heart told my head what to do and the fingers did the right thing. So there you go. <laughs> so you in given that Alice seems to kind of um and I don't mean this horribly but it, it there's a there's a rotation of team players in the Alice Cooper band. Uh, have it, uh you know I think I've seen Alice three times and it's been a different lineup every time. Uh, how have you found because you've been with Alice I know there's been like a, you had a, a break in the middle didn't you. So how have you found working with all those different lineups? Um I find every single lineup, there's something that you pick out of it and go, oh man, that's the best thing that, that's ever happened in the Alice Cooper band. And I, I kind of steal a little bit from Alice's wife, Cheryl, who's in the band currently as well, because she does all the parts. She's the, uh, she's the one that gets to cut off Alice's head every night, of course. And, uh, but she also sings a lot of the background vocals. But Cheryl always says, best band ever. And that's, and that's with every lineup that we've had. So, so she does like to, you know, she picks that one thing out like, oh, that, that there, there was something about that live element and that drummer and the way you guys interacted. Like for a long time, you know, one of my favorite guys to play off with and still is, to, you know, to, to play guitar off of and riff off of is Eric Dover. And that was a first, that was the lineup as well. But now we're in a three guitar player setup and I couldn't be happier in that sort of scenario because everybody knows their role. You know, it's mm. myself, Tommy Henriksen, and Nita Strauss, and we all seem to know what our roles are within the within the song and what era of song will kind of denote who takes the first solo. 
And, th- and that's yeah. the great thing about being in the Alice Cooper band is, is there's never just one guitar solo. Alice likes, he lets us solo as much. He likes to put the sh- shine, the sh- spotlight on us and, and let us get our um, sort of credit. He always gives us credit. And uh, I think that says volumes about how comfortable he is with his own status and his own celebrity because he's willing to give it. I know that there's, you know, a lot of people uh, say, oh, well, you're a higher gun. And well, yeah, I am a higher gun. And but at the same time, it's a really nice gun. <laughs> it's yeah. a really nice it's a really nice holster to be in, I guess, if I'm a higher gun, because you get all the credit of being in the band as well as, you know, the accolades. And you get to like I said earlier, you get to ride the coattails of one of the most iconic uh, front men of rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, you know, personally, it doesn't get any better than Alice as a front man, to be honest. Well, I think the other thing about that, and you just mentioned high gun, which and I just started thinking, but you know, how many guitarists have never been a hired gun? Because I think it's far more guitarists that have been a hired gun than not. You know, Clapton was a hired gun if you go back far enough. Ronnie Wood, you know, hired gun. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, how, you you look at all the bands. I've just I was watching a a video with um, Phil Collins was was playing um, at a, a radio station. And he was and he was riffing away on "Pour Some Sugar." And but he's not original Def Leppard guitarist. No, he was in Girl before that. I remember you know, Girl with Phil Lewis. Yeah, oh, I do remember Girl. And and I think that's the point. There aren't many guitarists who can stand up and say, "Well, they've not been that at some point anyway." That's true. That is that's a good point. I I think that. There, you, I always preach this at you know when I'm doing a guitar clinic or when I'm doing any sort of presentation. I say, look, be cool to the people you're playing with now. You know, I know that there's always bands break up every day because of musical differences, which basically just means their egos got in each other's nerves. But at the same time, be cool, and if you are going to stop playing together. Leave on good terms because usually nine times out of ten, that gig, something around that gig and those musicians that you played with will lead you to your next gig. Yeah. And that's basically living proof of what's happened to me throughout my whole entire career. I was going to say, because you started from um, from what I can gather in Candy with Gilby Clark. With Gilby Clark, who, yeah. Who obviously became a, you know, a very famous hired gun Absolutely. You know, when he joined Guns N' Roses. And you, you were on his solo albums as well? Yes. So Gilby was in Guns N' Roses, and, and that band, Candy, had uh, splintered off into two groups, whether it was Kill for Thrills and the band that I was in with the rest of the three guys was called Electric Angels. So when I moved back to Los Angeles, Gilby had his solo band, but he was also still in Guns N' Roses. So that relationship that we had, that friendship that we had from the Candy days basically got me back into his solo project, which Alice saw me and uh, from being in the Gilby Clark band. And that's when I got the audition for Alice. And then Alice, <laughs> so weird, would always have Slash come up and guest on his, um, you know, on whenever we were in town and Slash was in the same town on tour or whatever, he would come up and guest on a couple songs and Slash would literally end up stumbling during those days. He did stumble. I know he's been sober for a long time, but, <laughs> but, but he would, you know, we would end up stumbling towards each other and we played off each other real well. And that's what led to Slash and I uh, teaming up for the second Slash's Snake Pit record 
which is called Ain't Life Grand, which I really feel more people should listen to. When you came into BIM, one of my students, and I don't know if you remember, he got that album yeah, he had it. that he got you to sign. <laughs> and he was so excited. <laughs> I was excited. Are you kidding me? There, there's, there's another record I will never see publishing from. <laughs> Actually, while we're on the subject of that, if you were to pick a track off that album, what would it be? Ooh, there's a lot of good ones. Um, it, it It's out of the gate. It opens up with Been There Lately. Um and then I think track two, just like anything that has this cool um, sort of exile in Main Street, uh, uh, like sort of exile in Main Street, Rolling Stones vibe. I, the thing about that album is it's just so much music on it. If you're a musician, you're going to love it. It's, you know, it's almost too much music if you're not. <laughs> but yeah. but if you're a player, it's kind of like Jellyfish in that sense, where I'm not saying that Snakebit and Jellyfish are the same music at all, but I'm saying that when you listen to a Jellyfish record, you're so enamored by all the amazing music coming out, just the yeah. notes and how those inversions and, and chords and all sort of blend together. I think the Slash of Snakebit record was a good example of that because everybody was at on top form uh, during the recording of that album. And the pedigree that we used, you know, to record it, I mean, we had Jack Douglas as a producer who'd produced all the amazing Aerosmith records. He produced, you know, Cheap Trick, which is one of my favorite bands. And, of course, Jack Douglas produced John Lennon and stuff. So it's he, him, his involvement, along with um, Slash's... I think some of his best guitar playing since Appetite, to be honest with you. And then we had a singer named Rod Jackson, who just was such a powerful uh, voice, such a such a strong voice. So, like I said, it's one of those albums I, I really wish more people would hear. And hopefully, you know, without me saying too much more about it, you'll go grab and do a search on Spotify. We do a Spotify playlist that runs along with each podcast episode, so we'll stick... Stick one of those tracks in it. Well, if it's on there, it's it's weird. Sometimes the albums that I play on Spotify is stingy with. I don't know why, but they'll they'll they'll, they'll like they'll put it on like the uh, the Alice Cooper records that I had a big hand in the writing, um, which were Eyes of Alice Cooper and Dirty Diamonds. Sometimes that those albums will be on Spotify, and then sometimes they'll take them away. Luckily, if if anybody wants to hear any of my stuff, all my tracks are there. So I guess you have to get up to a certain amount of spin list before they start taking them away. <laughs> Hopefully that I'll have that problem someday. Well, we'll do a mix because we take we tend to take we we do a five track um, playlist, don't we? We're, you know, influenced by the person we've been speaking to. So great, there'll be a mixed bag there of of, of things that you've touched. Hey, I'm going to try and see if I can find Electric Angels or yep. did you did you put an album out with Candy or? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think you'll find any of the candy stuff that I played on. I played more on, there's a couple like sort of, uh, collaboration. What do you call those that have uh, a lot of different songs on it? Yeah. So we'll see. Um, the, the album, if you want to go check out my latest, Imagine Your Reality, I'm really happy with that record. It's very guitar driven, 10 songs, 10 guitar solos, um, just released it. Um, just, it seems like I just released it because, what I did is that I kind of did it in a sense, the way every musician I think feels about their songs. Cause a record company will feel like, well, you got, you, you have to make an album, but you get one or two singles. And I think every musician feels like F you, 
every one of my songs is a single. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like either myself or I think it's the manager in Spinal Tap says every song on this album is a hit. So I think that's the way I, musicians feel about their songs. And so what I did is I released every single song on the Spotify platform or iTunes or whatever as a single. And I'm still releasing songs. I just now released the ninth song off the album, which is called Hearts in Trouble. That's the newest single. But like I said, the album came out a year and a half ago, two years ago. And it's like, so I've managed to make the record vinyl, CD, tangible, available to people that want a tangible product. And if they want to hear all the songs, they bought it long ago and they can still buy it. And that's fine. And I want people to have that experience. But for me... I get to sort of prolong the life of the album because this always bums me out about the music business is that like, you know, as a band, you could spend, you know, 10 years making a record, you know, most early bands do. They spend their whole entire careers making that first record. And then let's say they have a hit off of it or one or two singles, but then they have to go right back into the studio and make another one real quick. And then they, then they have even less time before, because because a record company or you know someone that's promoting it only thinks that there's one or two songs. Well, you know, I I beg to differ, and I think that you know if you're into what I do, which is guitar driven uh, rock and sort of Beatle inspired, when you can call it Beatles, Oasis, uh, Sloan, anything that kind of stems from the Beatles is kind of my jam. Then I think you'll you'll dig you know more than one or two tracks it's funny because um i've i was just thinking while you were talking about how many bands have had an album where there's been more than say three or four singles come off the album and the only one i can think of where it was a real big number was probably def leppard with hysteria because i think they actually released 10 singles off that album yeah they just kept going didn't they oh my god Uh, but i can't think of any other album that had anything like that that quantity. Oh come on, reckless Brian Adams. No, it's only it's only five, five or six, only five or six. A ten out of twelve is a lot. Absolutely, that's a big number. Well, I mean, and but they did they put the work into that album too, though. I mean, when you read the stories about the recording of those records, and you know they spent two days on a single note. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit intense, for, yeah, you know. Yeah. But he stands up. To be fair, I mean, I mean, as a, as a Hysteria is interesting for me because I think if you listen to it now, um, I I could have pitched that album anything over a ten year period. I could have I could have picked a year anything probably between about eighty eighty five eighty six and the mid nineties and said it could have come from any of that period. I'm not I I can't. It wasn't that that for me that easy to to, you know to, to 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 put it down to a single a single year. Uh, and it's still, you know, it's still an astonishing sounding record now. But you know, I think the word, I mean, the key there is just the the what, if you could use one word, it's just quality. Yeah, it's just like it's the same thing you do when you when you watch the original Star Wars. You know, and it's, you know, Star Wars Part Four or whatever the one that came out in seventy seven. And you hope it's mm. just it's just it's just quality, and, mm. and it doesn't matter what year you're in, you still it, it still seems like that ah, this is current i i feel the same way when i listen to some uh some of my favorite albums too so so i still they i still feel that they stand up and hopefully that's the one good thing about this latest record that i've made is that because the songs were taken from a large span of time it is a little bit more timeless 
Yeah. You know, and because it's not a music that it's not a type of music that's really trendy right now at all. It's like guitar driven music, I think is finally back to where it originally started, which is kind of more the alternative. We're sort of yeah. like, you know, on the FM dial when FM would only play the weird album tracks and stuff. So I, I, I like the position that we're in right now. It gives us a little bit longer to uh, promote our stuff. But like I say, now everything's off the board. What happens here on out is um, anyone's guess. And that's why instead of being gloom and doom, I'd rather be pleasantly surprised that everything goes back to the way it was, where we get to go back out on tour and everything's great. We have meet and greets and everybody's hugging and kissing and, you know, but let's, I'll be pleasantly surprised if that happens, but if it doesn't, I don't want to be unprepared. And that's yeah. why I'm doing all these things that I'm doing right now to sort of see, okay, where's my strengths? Are my strengths, is, is could the podcast and the live stream concerts be something that actually uh, is more important in the future and uh, definitely more of a place for me to perform. Um, what other things can I do as well as, you know, keeping my chops up playing music? One of the things we've been doing on, because um, it's interesting, you, you mentioned earlier on about being able to get people for your podcast. We've had exactly the same experience. We've managed to speak to lots of people in the last fortnight. And one of the things we've been doing in, in these episodes um, is we've, we've prepared five questions, which we're asking everybody we speak to. And uh, and normally what happens is I introduce the questions and then realise that I haven't got a clue what the questions are because Jason's the only one that's got them written down. And this is about the fifth episode, I'm going to say the same thing. So I'm going to hand over to Jason now. Cool. So first one, um, what one thing in your career are you most proud of? Um, one thing in my career that I am most proud of, um, being able to uh, play with Brian May on stage at Wembley because he's one of my favorite guitar players. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Take that. <laughs> Is that quick fire enough for you? Yeah, nailed that one. <laughs> um, which three people would you like to have dinner with? Uh, living or dead, it uh, doesn't matter. Have dinner with? Mm. Huh. Okay, which three people would I like to have dinner with? Um, I guess I would like to pick Dave Grohl's brain and try and get in his band or some sort of project that he's up to because I really respect him. Um, so he would be one. Cause, and then I guess I would have to bring in some friends. Um, wow, that's a good, that's a, that is a quick fire question, isn't it? Um, you can come back to that one if you want to no, move no, no, that. No, and it no, doesn't no. Have I to got be Dave Grohl. I got Dave Grohl. I got uh, Marilyn Monroe because I do want to find out what really happened. You know, I'm not going to hear yeah. the truth from Kennedy, right? So I want to find <laughs> out what happened with so Marilyn Monroe, Dave Grohl, and then who do we got? Um, the third person, I guess it would be. Why not bring on um, sort of Nelson Mandela to figure out how he was able to bring that many people together? And that whole entire country together, because I think you could really use that kind of like right about now. Cool. 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 Um, so which piece of gear do you wish you'd never sold? <laughs> That's uh, my first Stratocaster uh, that I had. It was a Jimi uh, Hendrix cream colored uh, off white and uh, looked maple neck. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was everyone talks pre CBS. CBS. It had the silver bullet uh, uh, truss rod there. It's something about that guitar. I feel like I, even though I'm not really 
a Fender Strat player. I have one in my arsenal, but I'm mostly a Gibson guy. But that guitar, that was the one that got away because I traded it for, I think, uh, an Ibis, like straight across at a music store. They knew it was happening. They knew what they were doing uh, for an Ibanez Destroyer, which is basically a copy of an Explorer at those days. But, but you know, I ended up getting the humbucker sound that I heard on the records that I love. So to me, it was a good trade. But now looking back, it's like that Stratocaster is probably worth a shitload. <laughs> Cool. And uh, the, the final question is... Oh, no, not the final question. Um, so what's the best gig you've ever been to? The best gig? Yeah. Oof, wow. <sighs> okay, the best show, I think it will have to go down as this because it was quite cool that I was able to get in there. Um, it wasn't the best... Uh, okay, there's two. One was I got to see Oasis at probably the, you know, height of their hype, you know, right uh, release of the second album. They had played uh, Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles, and uh, this is what's the story. Morning Glory had just come yeah. out, and it was starting to gain a lot of attraction. But then they did an after show at this place called the Viper Room on sunset oh, it's tiny, the and it's about a hundred people and they came on and did a whole entire set and boom i was there right place right time got right into the club because i knew the doorman and i got to basically see oasis like right before it really exploded so that was quite cool and what um, was the other one? Ooh, the other gig was i snuck my way into the led zeppelin reunion show at the o2 uh the, the one the one big show that they had that uh and there, I, di I didn't go there with a ticket. I didn't go there with anything. I went there. I flew from Sweden because my buddies from the States were flying over. They were friends with Jason Bonham. And they said, maybe we can get you in. Maybe we can't. And uh, obviously, at the end of the day, they couldn't because I think uh, Eric Clapton had called Jason asking for tickets at one point. So <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> Eric Clapton got my ticket. Damn it. So so I went down there and it, it just weird convergence of things that happened where I just willed myself to get in. But somehow Alan White's wife, uh, Alan from uh, the band Yes, drummer, was playing that night, uh, opening up the show. And his wife knew me and recognized me from Stockholm that we had done a benefit show, a John Lennon benefit show earlier, a couple of years earlier. She recognizes me and she, she goes, stay right here. I'll be right back. She goes and gets Alan's backstage pass and she goes, put this on. Don't, uh, you know, just walk straight through and don't look at anybody. So I'm walking straight through right behind her, trying to not look at everything that's going on, you know, and, and of course, you know, the guys in Oasis are over there, and Marilyn Manson's there, and, you know, and, and, and I'm just going straight ahead. I don't stop until we get into the uh, Yes dressing room. And then uh, I took it off, and uh, they go, well, the first eight rows are all sort of open seating, because it's just for people that are playing in the band, go out there and um, enjoy the show. So I walked out in the first eight rows. I was there, and that's how I snuck my way into a Led Zeppelin uh, concert years, years after I probably was supposed to be uh, sneaking my way into concerts. <laughs> Brilliant. How's that? <laughs> so uh, the final question, which is probably a good point to uh, end on as well, is uh, what's the first thing you're going to do post-lockdown? 
First thing I'm going to do post lockdown. Oh man, it'd be weird to actually just go on a sabbatical in a cave, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need to go to one of those silent retreats. No, I, uh, I need. I think the first thing I'll do when everything's said and done, I'm going to fly to the states and um, just take care of everything that I need to take care of. I'm, you know, I, I live here and even now you can't really go there. And, um, so many friends and, uh, family that I would like to sort of see again when, when this is all said and done. And hopefully when I fly over there, there will be an Alice Cooper show booked, ready to play. And we're hitting the stage as soon as I get off the plane. That's the idea. That's brilliant. Brilliant. I'll wrap it up, Ryan. Thank you very much uh, for your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I appreciate um, you having me, man. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you guys. Sort of, I always say we're we're carrying the torch of rock and roll. We're passing it on to the next uh, generation, or and we're trying to keep people entertained in a really surreal time. So I applaud you guys for doing your show. If anyone wants to come check out anything about my show, then. Uh, Easiest way to find me is ryanroxy.com, but I'm on the Instagram. I'm at Ryan Roxy. Yeah, we'll put all the links on the show notes anyway, so we'll uh, we'll do that, and obviously we'll uh, we'll ping a few tracks on the Spotify playlist as well. So that's great, and then hopefully, hopefully, when we are back to being able to move around, we'd we'd love to do this face to face. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, so as soon as we can do that, that'd be a that'd be a great a great thing to do and we'll 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 wait till there's a time where there's a really great gig in town and you can just sneak us in <laughs> you seem to have a you seem to have a knack for that so we'll the next time we do it we all have to bring our super cool microphones as well so just even <laughs> even though we're doing it face to face we'll still have our super we, we, cool mics. yeah we, we've got to do that we've got to do that <laughs> cool. right it's been great thank you very much have a thanks good for having me guys i'll thank see you. you later man okay. have a good one Bye. cheers So that was Ryan, and what a lovely fella. I had a fantastic time doing that. And I know I'm going to repeat myself because I've enjoyed every one of these interviews, but what a really nice guy and what a, a lovely interview. And you can tell you can tell he's a podcaster. You can tell he broadcasts regularly. He was so comfortable and so articulate and, you know, perfectly formed answers to everything and, you know, really made us look the, the absolute amateurs that we are. Uh, which was a, a a little bit of a uh, you know a shame, but that uh, the whole uh, system twelve method that he's um, talking was system twelve the whole system twelve method yeah system twelve uh, he was talking about uh, sounds absolutely fascinating uh, to the point where I think I'm going to have to enrol and do it myself um, even if it means learning all my chords again. Um, <laughs> Because the, the way he made it sound, uh, I've been waiting 30 years to be able to be relatively proficient on a guitar, and he reckons he can do it with me in 12 weeks. So uh, I think I'm going to have to have a chunk of that, um, which actually um, means we can put a quick reminder out. So that Kickstarter campaign, um, that closes fairly shortly. I think it was it the 21st of May that closes? Yeah, 21st of May, yeah. And it sounds an amazing project. So um, if you want to get involved in that, then you've got uh, you've got a week or so um, to get involved, just over a week to get involved before it closes down, which was, it's on the Kickstarter um, website. Yeah, kick, kickstarter.com slash project slash Ryan Roxy. So yeah, I would absolutely suggest you check that out. We'll put the, we'll put the details in the, in the show notes. Um, along with the Spotify playlist, 
um, which uh, we talked a little bit about um, and make sure that's up as well. But the Kickstarter stuff will all go in the show notes. So do check that out. You've got just over a week to do it. Um, and I'm certainly going to be getting involved in that because I think it sounds a fascinating project. And that actually leads us on to something that we wanted to talk about because um, as we spoke to you about last time, we're taking the show weekly for the foreseeable future, um, which is great. But we are um, we are thinking about or we're we going to open up ways uh, for you to be able to support the show. Uh, we, we're really enjoying doing the show actually more frequently than we originally thought that we would do. And the, the, the show, as with all things, comes with a cost. There's a cost in time, yes, but there's also a financial cost in putting these things together and getting them out there and getting them edited and ready to be, to be put out. So um, we're wanting to record more shows. And one of the ways that we can do that is to look for some support from you, the audience, to help us offset some of that, that cost a little bit. So what we're thinking of doing is we're, we're going to put together a little Patreon package, which means there'll be opportunities for you to support the show, but then there'll also be opportunities for us to give back. So we're going to be able to do and offer bits of extra content. Now, these are, these may be outtakes and extra bits from um, interviews. It might be an opportunity uh, for you uh, as supporters to have little segments of interviews with artists where you've put some of the questions in. And we can, you know, we can name check and we can uh, pass those questions on directly and put that out as extra content. There's lots of things we can do. There's there's bits of that are sort of merch and little giveaways that we're thinking about. So uh, we'll make it, you know, as um, collaborative and, and as um, much of a community project as we as we can. So um, look out over the next couple of weeks. We're just kind of formulating this, Jason. Aren't we trying to make work out how yeah. the hell it will work? So we've no real details at the moment but um but we will be coming back to you in the next couple of weeks with you know with how 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 you can get involved and how you can support and take a closer interest in the show including possibly you know we may you know and I'm thinking about this out loud so Jason's face might drop on the screen in a second but maybe a guest editor maybe you know there might be an opportunity for people who support the show to get involved a little bit in people you'd like us to talk to Maybe odd bits of things like that help help us with a format, help us with a uh, how a show goes. So there's all those kind of things we can talk about um, long term. So we'll come back to you with with information about about that. Um, who are we talking to next? I think I know who we're talking to next. It's Bumblefoot, it's Bumblefoot next, isn't it? Next. Man, that was a that was a strange evening. <laughs> strange transvestite. Evening. Yes, yes. Well, I'm not going to harp on too much about that because that will become evident when when that episode comes out. But we had a very, very interesting, slightly surreal, no, actually very surreal evening talking to Ron, didn't we? He was absolutely on form. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I love Ron. Uh, we've done the show a couple of times now and uh, he'll be doing the show again. Yes, yes. And probably the podcast again, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, yeah uh, to be fair. But, uh, the longer this lockdown gets goes on, yeah. <laughs> my black book only extends so far. <laughs> but uh, but Ron had his has he had his electric out, had his acoustic out. We messed around with uh, you know little bits of ideas, bits of him playing, uh, an insight into what life is like in uh, in New Jersey during lockdown. Uh, and he was he was he was real top value. So um, that will be out next Monday. 
So yes, uh, that's um, that's going to be out next Monday, 9.42am again, our normal kickoff time for, for release. Um, and in the interim, if you've enjoyed it, um, then please uh, like, please subscribe, please uh, leave a review. Uh, please tell friends about it and share as much as you can, uh, which would be absolutely great. And please get in touch with us. Um, Jace, what are the what are the socials that we, we're using? So uh, all of the Guitar Show uh, stuff is at The Guitar Show UK. So facebook.com slash The Guitar Show UK and Twitter and Instagram at The Guitar Show UK. Okay, so please, please use those. Get in touch with us. We'd love your feedback. We'd love ideas for future shows. Uh, and if you know Keith Scott, uh, <laughs> no <laughs> Keith Scott. There's a very good chance you would fast track your way onto the show very quickly. So, uh, so if you know Keith Scott, please let us know because that is still the uh, the dream of 942 is to get is to get the underrated genius of Keith Scott on the podcast as as soon as possible. And, and if and if you do know Keith Scott and don't like this podcast, it probably will finish after we get Keith Scott <laughs> because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah, there's a fast track to the end of this. Uh, if you're finding this a particular kind of personal hell, then just get us Keith Scott and we'll we'll consider stopping. But only consider stopping. Uh, Jace, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, lovely to see you, uh, even if only on a screen. I am. Uh, I know we answered our questions about the thing we're most likely to, to do post lockdown in the last episode, but I'm looking forward to having a brew with you, my friend. It's going to be nice to yes get together. But we can combine both, and you can come to my office, and there's a cafe three doors away, and we'll have a flat white yes. there. Yeah. Well, do you know? Do you know what? I've been in my head. I've been thinking about a tattoo. Ooh. So, but I don't want. I don't think I'm going to get addicted to it. I think I'm. A, I've. I've got this idea that I want a tattoo, and I only want one. And I don't know why I've got it in my head. So you never know. That might be three things that happen on the same day. And I said I would do it before I was fifty, and I'm now running out of time. I've got ten months to go. I had the weird experience about two years ago. It was just before a show two years ago, and I'd had the eight meter long banner that goes on the front of the, yeah, of the, the railings that says the guitar show, delivered to the office. Now, my office isn't eight metres long, um, but the tattoo studio is far more than eight metres long. And it was early in the morning, and they hadn't started tattooing yet. So um, so my mate Paul, who um, owns the studio, had got one end of this banner. that I'm having to check to make sure it's right before I roll it back up and put it in the tube to take onto site. Uh, and I've got the other end. Uh, so we pull out this eight metre long banner, that just says the guitar show. And Paul's client, who was sat on the sofa in reception, looked up and went, Jason. Uh, and it was Julian from Yamaha who was in to get a tattoo. Who The last thing I knew about Julian was he'd gone to live in LA to work for Yamaha's um, LA artist sort right. of like centre. And he'd come back to the UK and booked in at this funny little tattoo studio in Bromsgrove. <laughs> it was the most surreal meeting. I don't know how to top that, really. <laughs> I think no. we'd, we'll just leave that one hanging, shall we? So it don't get any more rock and roll than it, my life. It doesn't does get it? any more rock and roll than your life and any less rock and roll than mine. Um, <laughs> right, I will, I'll, see you, I'll see you next week when we'll be with in the company of Bumblefoot. Uh, and everybody out there, take care and stay safe. Jace, I'll see you soon. All right, see you, mate. Take care, Bye-bye. mate. Bye.
Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.